how do we engage the culture in a way where the culture actually cares what we have to say? Gabe Lyons is our guest this week, offering ways the church can change the negative cultural stereotypes that exist today. It's all on episode 42 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Thanks for tuning in to episode 42 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew, your host, and this week I'm excited to bring you a conversation I had with Gabe Lyons. Many of you will know Gabe is the founder of Q, a learning community that mobilizes Christians to advance the common good in society And a few years back, Gabe partnered with David Kinneman, the president of Barna Research, to write a popular book called Unchristian. And they've teamed up again to write a new book called Good Faith, which releases next week. And so I wanted to sit down with Gabe and talk to him about some of the ideas that they're bringing in this new book. And one of the things I really think that they've wrestled with is as society continuously dismisses us as either irrelevant or extreme, I really feel Gabe is leading the way in showing leaders how we can engage the culture and stand for truth in the right way. And now, here's my conversation with Gabe Lyons. Well, Gabe Lyons, it is a pleasure to have you on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's great to be with you, too. I've appreciated your work and how much you do to inform leaders about what's happening in the world. Well, thanks. We, Gabe, we wanted to talk to you today. We uh, know that you are doing such a great work with Q, the, the Q conferences and the Q um, just nights that you're putting on. Tell us about, for those in our audience who might not know what Q is, tell us about your vision for Q and, and kind of how you got it started. Yeah, Q is, it stands for questions. And so Q is a series of events that we host meant to really equip Christians to better understand how to engage our cultural moment. You know, we find that a lot of church leaders, pastors, and Christians in general can get pretty consumed in the place that they've been called, which we think is a great thing for them to invest there, but sometimes lose sight of picking their head up and seeing what's happening at a bigger level around us. And how does our faith actually engage the issues everybody's talking about, whether it's in the workplace or in my church, the real things that people are dealing with, the the things that we hear about every day on the news or read in the headlines. What does it mean for us to be like the men of Issachar and to understand our times and to know what to do? And so that's where Q comes in. We both do an annual event. Uh, The next one's April 21st to 23rd in Denver, Colorado, where we'll have about 30 different presentations that help Christians get very informed about all kinds of topics. We're talking about marijuana. How should we think about that Um, in a place like Denver where Colorado has legalized marijuana? We talk about topics of racism in America. We talk about um, what it means to be on Christian mission today, what it looks like as our culture starts to change. We talk about the presidential election coming up and how should Christians think about politics and how much of a role should that play in the Christian's life and How do we do that well? And so we create these kind of environments, you know, at that particular event, there's all kinds of experiences that people get to do from film screenings to private concerts and music and getting out with other people with farm to table dinners and getting out into the city of Denver. Um, So a lot of it's about building relationships with other people who are like minded, who are working in every kind of sphere of culture, wanting to try to engage that. And then the second thing we do is something called Q Commons. And this allows Q to happen in any city in the country and around the world. And so uh, March 3rd, we actually have 75 cities hosting this evening where their people locally can come out for an evening and 
be connected to all these other cities around the world to hear three different talks uh, that we're all hearing about culture and why Christians should matter. So we're going to have Andy Crouch talking about what does it mean to be a leader and to lead in a skeptical culture. David Kinnaman's going to talk about uh, the irrelevance of faith and sort of extremist ideas. Um, we're going to have a panel on what it means to be a good neighbor. How do you be a good neighbor to your Muslim neighbor? What does it mean to mentor people? What do we do about adoption and foster care systems in our states? And then that's combined with three local talks that each of these cities host for themselves. So there's ways for churches to host that or to just download the entire event and, and to show their people the entire two-hour evening to equip them on how to think well about culture. So that's practically what it is, is events that train Christians to know how to think well, engage in some of the most difficult conversations Christians need to be aware of uh, for the days ahead. And how can our leaders, if they, if they want to get involved with the like Q Commons or, or the April conference, how, how what's the best way for them to get involved? Well, everything's at qideas.org for the April Denver conference. That's kind of our flagship national event. It's at qideas.org slash Denver. And then for Q Commons, it's at qcommons.com. Um, and you can either just look at that website for these, uh, but, but I think, but because we're so close to that event, qcommons.com slash church host would allow pastors to see how they could actually equip their people, even though it's coming up very quickly, um, to participate in this one, or they could participate in October when we'll be doing it again. Awesome. Well, Gabe, what I wanted to uh, talk to you today about is, is to kind of wrestle with this question. A lot of leaders today, I think are wrestling with how do we engage culture? And I think, you know, with what you're doing at Q, I, I think you guys are leading the way in helping leaders and preparing leaders to engage the culture faithfully. And so as we get started, why do you think this is such a hard thing for Christians to do? Um, that it seems like a lot of times the natural instinct for us is to kind of shirk back from culture and, and kind of avoid culture. Well, I think part of it has just been an American mentality where we've experienced you know, really having a lot of influence in this particular culture and a lot of people just kind of agreeing with what we believe to be true about the world, how things should function, what helps people flourish. And, and so there's been a lot of alignment. And now over the last many years, as and even in this century, as we've seen uh, Christian ideas become a little more marginalized from the main public life kind of conversations, uh, it's easier to just shrink back. It's easier to just go spend time with people who think like us and talk like us and go to the same churches as us, and uh, that's more natural to just kind of shrink into that. But that's not what Christ calls us to. We are called to be a part of salt and light within the culture, which means we have to be informed and aware of what's happening in the world, what's unjust that's going forward, what are the areas of our world that are broken, that are in need of redemption. Um, and we have to believe that God wants to work through us to be a part of this process of making things new and of demonstrating the power of the gospel to transform people's lives in any situation, um, but also to transform society, to see um, products of redemption start to give root and birth in our society. And so I think uh, we're, we're many times a little intimidated by it because we don't know how to think well about some of these topics. Uh, and we think, uh, you know, what does the Christian faith sometimes have to say about some of these conversations, like, you know, let's think about science and technology or euthanasia or, you know, all, all kind the politics and presidential election coming up. Um, most of us have a very small view of how faith should inform those conversations. And I think what we've been so excited about is to see that, you know, our faith should touch every single topic, every single industry. 
what we believe about the world, that there are disordered parts about it, that things aren't the way God necessarily designed them to be in every single category because of sin. And so what does it mean for us as Christians to come into that and say, how can we be a positive force for good and shine light on the things that are going wonderfully and also roll up our sleeves and work in these areas through the power of the Spirit to be a part of what we think God would want to do to redeem these structures, to redeem these parts of our culture. And so I think it's been hard for a lot of Christians to find places to do that well, to see it modeled well, but I think that's changing. And so that's what we're excited about with Q and all the other, um, there's many other events and other people within the Christian community thinking about that well now, and that's been very exciting to see. Yeah, and one thing that uh, that I know uh, just in the last year uh, at a Q event, I think it was in Boston, uh, it was last April, um, you and Andrew Sullivan took the stage together. Andrew is kind of a you know known a well known gay rights leader, and and you guys sat there and had a conversation. And, and I really there's a video that we'll attach in the show notes that the, the people can go and watch. But can you talk about that night and, and kind of what happened and, and kind of how you've processed this since then? Well, yeah. So Andrew, I mean, we have a relationship. He's a friend of mine, and, and he was one of the key leaders in the '80s who said, "Look, as the gay rights movement grows." We need to make sure we go for marriage. Like civil unions isn't enough. And he was many, many times laughed at and scoffed for wanting to do that. He and I do not align theologically on this matter of sexuality and what's best for human beings and what helps human beings flourish. But he's a friend. He's somebody I've gotten to know. He's somebody I really care a lot about. I mean, he's a, he's a really wonderful man. And he cares about the marginalized. He cares about those who are vulnerable. He cares about a lot of the kids who grow up in Christian churches and homes, but who never understand that they don't have to leave that environment or they don't have to run from faith and they don't have to hide you know, their attractions uh, in order to operate in some of those spaces. And so we decided at Q, which in many cases at our conferences, you will see this, where you'll see two people who absolutely disagree on some things finding places to have some common ground. And for Andrew and I, that common ground has been, what does it mean to live an American life today? And are we going to be able to get along despite theological differences about what we think the meaning of marriage is, what we believe God's design for sexuality is? Could you disagree on that and still make room for other people? Could we make sure that Christian institutions aren't, you know, we're experiencing reverse types of um marginalization because they're holding to historic belief. And and that's something that Andrew believes. He believes that part of American life is that there should be the option to have a lot of different opinions. That's what pluralism is. And the, the key is, is how are we going to get along? And, and I think what we have found through a lot of our research um, that David Kinneman and I have been a part of for this next book project is that Americans actually want to find a way for most of us to get along. There's a small number of people that live on sort of the polar edges of these discussions, and they love to polarize them. They love to um, create caricatures of the other side. But when we actually are in relationship, when we sit and listen to the other, to the person who's different than us, coming from a different perspective, oftentimes we can find ways to get along despite some of this disagreement. And I think that's an area the church can lead in. And it's a real opportunity for the days ahead. Yeah, and I think that uh, one of the things that, that we deal with in the church, and, and it's a powerful story, is is this idea of perception, of how people perceive Christians. And, and I think that um, that's something that I see you kind of pushing back against and wanting to change um, some of the ways that society perceives 
Christians. Can you talk about some of those perceptions that may be the worst that, that, that we need to focus on most? Well, I, I think first it's important to know that you can't change perceptions by trying to just be clever and attempting to, you know, sort of superficially cover over some things so that people think better of you. Uh, perceptions change only one experience at a time when people have a different type of interaction with a Christian. And so long ago, when David Kinneman and I first wrote UnChristian in 2007, we laid out these top six perceptions that Christians were anti-homosexual, judgmental, too political. They were um, concerned with proselytizing more than just caring for people. They were hypocritical. They were sheltered. We laid out these ideas to say, hey, here's what the world thinks of Christians. Now, we have to ask the question, is that true of who Jesus is? And I think when you start to line up some of those perceptions, you go, wait, well, that's a lot of those are not what Jesus was. And so what have we gotten wrong? And so I think the great mission we've had over the last decade has been really working hard to cultivate within the church and within Christians in every area of culture a sense of what does it really mean to be Christian? And, and to get back to these basics of understanding the role that God's called us to play in the world and to repent of all the ways in which we've been self-righteous, in which we have been judgmental, in which the way the world would look at us has been true of us. And to ask those really tough questions about how have we contributed to this problem. You know, fast forward to now, 2016, and part of the, the project uh, we've worked on the last two years in the Good Faith book is laying out two big perceptions that have continued to emerge over this last decade, and they're not going away soon, and they're critical for Christians, especially church leaders, to understand, and then secondly, to equip their people to know how to engage. And there are two words. One is irrelevant, uh, and that, that covers a lot of ground, but the sense is in American life, religion in general is irrelevant. There's a new generation that says, I want nothing to do with faith. You know, we have 34% of 18 to 22-year-olds who don't identify or align with any faith. Uh, 46% of Americans say that religion is bad for the world. Uh, 42% say people of faith are bad for the world. You know, they even believe that a lot of the benevolence, a lot of the good that happens in our country, especially in American life, would go on without the church. Now, this isn't true. When you actually get into the data and you understand how much good Christian ministries are doing and those that are motivated by faith are doing, whether it's hospital beds or foster care, adoption services, uh, homeless kitchens, and so on. It's just not true. But most Americans don't realize that. So that's one thing. The second big perception is that we, we are extreme. And so you hear the word extremism, and over the last couple of years, that's become a little more prevalent. It's usually been used to talk about people who, in the name of religion, do violence. And so we've seen it associated with the Middle East and ISIS and you know so many things that happen around terrorism. And yet, now, if you're a Christian in American life and you hold to basic biblical understandings around a variety of topics – Many of your peers think you're extreme, and that's as simple as if you're reading your Bible in public at a coffee shop or, or praying for somebody in public, all the way to if you hold to biblical ideals and the historic sexual ethic uh, today, um, you are absolutely labeled as an extremist. And so no longer is it about whether you're doing violence. It's literally what you believe that's going to create some marginalization and ostracize us um, in our culture. And so in the face of that, we're saying, look, there's a way to be faithful, to hold to your convictions, but to also love people really well and to live really well and to trust that God's going to continue to use this church today to affect the kind of change in people's lives that it always has throughout history, whether we've been in more of a powerful position or not. And in fact, when we're not, 
many times that's when the church is at its best. And so we're looking forward, excited about the days ahead, but also wanting to help caution Christians to approach this, not as we're a bunch of persecuted people, but as people of joy walking forward into a culture that um, now has more questions than ever that, that we believe the Christian faith has great and better answers for. And especially for the, those in our audience are pastors, they're ministry leaders, they're leading churches. What are the unique ways that pastors can lead their churches in ways that, that does kind of address these issues that you guys bring up in good faith? Well, you know, what we point out is that uh, th- here's the great irony. People sitting in pews or in the church, you know, the people who are attending every week, they are desperate and hungry. And the research is showing they want their pastors to be more courageous, to be bold, to lead, to tell them how they should think about some of these really difficult topics that they have no idea how the Christian faith should inform the way they should respond to it. So that that's the average person, you know, like sitting there at church on a Sunday morning. The pastors, on the other hand, feel intimidated. So they're saying, look, on some of these really difficult issues, I'm not sure I know how to communicate well about this. And I am also have a little bit of fear, some pastors, that people will leave because I'm going to say something wrong or I might offend somebody. So you kind of have this perfect brewing storm. We have a church that's saying, please shepherd me. Please lead me. Please help me know how to think about how to engage the race conversation that we're having throughout American life, how to engage what's happening in the Middle East, how I should think about terrorism or refugees, how I should think about sexuality and gay marriage, on and on and on. And their pastors many times are are staying away from some of those topics because they know they can be divisive. And so what we point out is there's a way for pastors to lead in this. And a lot of it has to do with your approach. It's to own the fact that Christians do have a way of thinking about the world that's a little bit odd at times. It's a little bit countercultural. It's going to be different than what the larger culture thinks. But that's okay. It doesn't mean we have to hold that view with a lot of animosity to the culture or critiquing and and being cynical about the culture. But yet we're supposed to walk forward with love. and, And that's how we treat the people around us in relationship. And we also have to live and embody what we believe. We have to practice these things. And so I would encourage pastors to the, the, the little thing in their heart, that conviction that got them to originally decide, hey, I'm going to follow this calling to be a pastor, was to shepherd people. And we're at a moment in the church now where we have, as Paul points out you know, in the New Testament, one of his letters, he says, look, we have 10,000 teachers, but no fathers. And we're at a point in the American church where we need fathers. We need those who will point out where there's error, that will help people know how to walk in the way of Jesus Because things are getting more confusing. There's more options. There's more information. It's going to require a little more effort and discipleship. And so we're trying to encourage pastors and how to do that very practically in this book, Good Faith. That's really great. And I think, you know, it makes me think of, you know, I've heard one leader talk about the, you know, the difference that the gospel makes is that God moves from our judge to our father and that we're now his children. And and the, the shift that that makes for people when they feel like, you know, there are ways that our fathers push us, but they always do it in love. And I think that's a, a great illustration of what you're of what you're saying. Let's talk about uh, kind of one thing that a lot of people are thinking about right now, and that's politics. Um, how can I think that's one opportunity for Christians to engage in and to do what you're talking about? How do you see that Christians can engage um, kind of in the in this campaign season in a way that doesn't divide, but brings unity? Well, I think for Christians um, in American life, that there's been quite a history here of political engagement. And so I find a lot of people that just go, hey, I shouldn't be involved in politics because I don't want to sort of mar my reputation that I'm a right wing Republican. 
um, if I happen to care about some conservative ideas. On the other hand, you have people who are Democrat who go, man, we have to care about the issues that this party seems to care about a lot more related to the marginalized, to the poor. Um, and, you know, ultimately, I, I heard a, a great quote the other day uh, describing American politics, and it said, look, it's essentially a, the, the two parties are a competition between two half-truths. And, and that's essentially what you get with American politics. There's two half-truth sort of ideas, and they just are constantly competing with each other. And what you're trying to do is properly balance. It was David Brooks who was describing this. You're trying to properly kind of balance for the moment what does this American life need. But I think the mistake a lot of Christians have made is to many times put their citizenship to America above their citizenship to the kingdom of God and to the things of God. And so we've grown up in an environment, some people, at least those who've been in church for a long time, where, you know, our Bibles have been pretty wrapped in the American flag for as long as we can remember. And we have no way of understanding how to sort of pull those two things apart and to recognize what is it that God calls us to do and, and what does it mean for us to love our neighbor? What does it mean for us to do the things God's asked us to do as followers of him? And then what does it also mean to be a good citizen? It doesn't mean that we throw away the fact of our citizenship or that we live in a state and we don't acknowledge that. No, we have real responsibilities. We should be engaging the political process. We should be influencing things for the good because if we care about human beings flourishing, we are going to care about the kind of structures, the kind of policies, the kind of ways in which that we believe more people do flourish and that our cities flourish and our nation flourishes for the benefit of other people, not just for our own consumption. And so I think the starting point for any Christian thinking about the political season is to first just recognize, like, number one, don't put so much stock in who's going to be the next president as that's going to make some huge radical transformation of our culture. It simply will not. Um, we know that politics essentially is downstream from culture. And so there's oh, so many other places that people are being fed, that they're listening to, that's really shaping their thinking and their ideology and their imagination. And that could be everything from the arts to the church to business and entrepreneurship to the media to music. Like there's so many other areas where we should be investing and, and be good patrons of that are telling the story of the good, true, and beautiful and recognize that politics is pretty limited in its scope of, of how much it really can affect change. And so I think it's a proper ordering of our priorities and a proper balancing of how much we view the role of politics in creating a better world. And so it certainly plays a role, but it just plays a role. And if we overemphasize that role, if we put all our faith into a particular candidate or a particular party to solve problems, in some ways we, we usurp what it, what it means to believe that Jesus ultimately will be the one that transforms hearts and souls and cultures. So it's a balancing act between those two ideas. Yeah. And, and how can, like, if somebody's listening to this and they're, you know, they're feeling inspired, they want to take steps towards doing what, what you guys are writing about in good faith. What are some first, like just things that they could do to start making this move, especially if they feel like this is not the way that I've been thinking about my kind of my Christianity as it, as it relates to society? Yeah. Well, it's a, Big question, because you, you basically have to take that first step of saying, hey, I want to learn a little bit more. I want to try to understand theologically why I should care about this. I think we, we do try to do that in this book, Good Faith, help lay a basis for like, why should Christians even care about culture, number one? And then if you believe that, look, God's asked us at Genesis 2 that 
part of what our role is as human beings is to cultivate this culture, to cultivate cities, to cultivate the world. If that's part of my responsibility, as well as evangelism, as part of being a disciple of Christ, I now need to figure out how to apply it to where God's called me. And I think not thinking that, hey, to be a great Christian or a follower of Jesus means that I put all my energy into basically, you know, either earning money that I give to the church or going into full-time quote-unquote ministry in the church. But for many pastors to know that a lot of their people are just sitting there kind of latent. They don't, they haven't been empowered by you to go out and be a part of what God might want to be doing to renew the workplace that they're in or the industry that they're in. And so part of the pastor's role is to help release them, help empower them, let their gifts run free in the community and in the city and celebrate that. Bring them up on stage to talk about something great that they've done within your community Um, in the same way you might bring a missionary up to pray for them as you commission them to go to another country. Um, If pastors would take the leadership in that, they, they would start to find their people coming alive again and being awakened to all the opportunities they really do have to physically live out the gospel in the places they probably feel more naturally gifted to do sometimes than within sort of local church administration in some way. So that, that'd be a quick thing. I'd say read a lot. I'd say um, qideas.org, our website, has so many talks from Christians who are thinking this way and applying it to every type of space in our world you can imagine. You can search those talks and see how creatively Christians are thinking. And I think for a lot of Christians, they start to gain confidence when they see that because they realize, hey, they're not alone in desiring to be a Christian that's thinking about the good of other people, that's wanting to live with joy, not fear, and, and our people who are able to lead with love, you know, and, and I think that encourages all of us. Yeah. And talk about the role of evangelism. You know, when we think about doing good to society. I think a lot of times we, we focus on evangelism, but I love the practical things that you're talking about as well. How do you kind of marry those two things where you're, you're doing good for society, but also wanting to always bring the gospel? Yeah, well, evangelism is critical and, a, and an essential part of our commission as Christians. Um, as we're going, we're supposed to be making disciples, right? That's the Great Commission. And so part of what we're trying to equip people to do is to know what does it look like to be going? Like, what does it mean to be out there more where you're spending time building friendships and relationships with those who don't believe like you do? And what we have found is is a couple things. One is more conversations about faith come up when you've rolled up your sleeves and you've aligned with someone who might not be a Christian and you're working on something that's good in your community, your school system, uh, some injustice happening in your community. Uh, So getting involved in ministries that aren't just quote unquote Christian ministries, but are like really good organizations within your city, you're going to be rubbing shoulders with more people. And and let's face it, more Christians need to be out rubbing shoulders with non-Christians to even have these kinds of conversations. But, but what we find is over time, people do ask, like, why are you doing this? What motivates you? And the good thing about our culture today is there's real freedom to tell your story, to talk about why you're doing this. And, and that motivation coming from your relationship with God and what you believe he wants to see happen in the world. The second thing is relationship is so critical in the days ahead for having opportunities to share the gospel. You know, people are kind of done probably just like watching the gospel presentation on TV or just happening to walk into a church one day and hearing a presentation that's proclaimed in that way. That will still happen, but there's going to be more opportunities through one-on-one relationships and friendships. And so uh, people, when they have a crisis in their life, that's usually when they actually are open to some of these bigger questions about faith, about meaning, about what life's about, why bad things happen. 
If you've invested and built friendships and relationships around you without an agenda of trying to convert people, but purely because you believe that's what love looks like, is to be in their life, you're going to find them asking you questions about your faith, about what is it about you that gives you peace in the midst of chaos? What is it about you that makes you structure your life in such a way or prioritize these certain things? And so I think that's something that pastors can really understand and start to empower their people. Tell you, this year, I know we want to see people come to Christ. We want to see people get baptized. We want to see people convert. But what if this next year you committed to go make five new friends in your neighborhood or in your workplace and you invited them over for dinner and you just built relationship? I can tell you that's going to lead to more evangelism over time than if we just make commitments to sort of tell people, you know, the the four spiritual laws or to convey it in a quick way that's not inside of relationship. You're going to see more impact happen through investing in intentional relationships than we might ever see from some of these other methods. So it makes good sense to be involved in advancing good in your community because that's where you can many times start relationships with people who don't think like us. That's such a good answer. And Gabe, thank you so much for being with us. Your book, Good Faith, uh, you wrote it with David Kinneman. Being a Christian when society thinks you're irrelevant and extreme it comes out in March. Uh, it's a great book. A lot of people are going to be blessed by it. And, and just thanks so much for taking the time to, to speak with us today. You're welcome. Great to be with you. Big thanks to Gabe Lyons for joining us this week as our guest on the Churchers podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would really help us if you would take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes. And consider sharing this with your friends, with your team, people that you know that would benefit from listening to this episode. Also, make sure to download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. The show notes always include resources that we mentioned in the show and links to some of our guests' top content on church leaders and around the web. As always, if you have ideas for how we can improve the podcast or guests that we should talk to, you can always email me directly at podcast at churchleaders.com. Those emails come right into my inbox, and I always enjoy hearing from our listeners. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.